Hello and welcome to Convincing Podcast. This is episode 11 and I'm joined again by my co-host Thomas. How have you been, Thomas? I've been fine. It's been a good week since we last did the other one, but this is part of our schedule now. I hope everyone's doing well as well. Yep, still on lockdown. We've been on lockdown for most of our podcasting career. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Matthew. Uh, Please subscribe for more news. Um, There are many ways that you can consume the podcast. Uh, Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And a disclaimer, we are not offering any legal advice, but just an overview of convincing news on this podcast. But we are planning to do a some explainer videos or maybe audio clips uh, trying to help people to uh, understand the conveyancing process what's involved like what they need to do Um, we're going to do these podcasts fortnightly from now on so um, and then try to do explainer videos every other week anyway let us dive into the first article yep so um in our weekly news we have the first one coming from the law society gazette it's talking about land registry is investigating a service outage cause or the cause to a their service outage essentially what we have seen from the article it's talking about us what i have understood is there was an update to their services, which includes uh, local land charges, um, business e-services, their their portal, business gateway, map search, and uh, yada yada yada. They they had received update, and um, this update had some sort of an error in it, I do believe, and it was fixed by uh, the morning of the next day. So I believe it was mm. shipped at nine p.m. one day, and. It was fixed by 11 a.m. the next day. That is I think it was um, scheduled maintenance that was overnight. So they they probably applied the update during the night, like automatically or whatever. And they didn't realise that it messed everything up mm. until I guess I mean they said they discovered it and communicated to their customers, but probably a customer complained. And then they managed to sort it out by 11 a.m. that morning. That was was yesterday. Yesterday morning. Yeah, um, I I don't doubt that many, many customers were probably wondering what was going on there. Um, This error, I, I do believe, made it either impossible or very extremely hard to use any of their services. So not being able to use these services for... What seems to be half a day, basically, so a good twelve, maybe fourteen hours, probably made it pretty, mm. pretty bad. I mean, this. Uh, I mean, most people would come in at nine a.m. and realise it's not working, do something else, and then by the time it's fixed by eleven, they'll probably be okay. But I mean, yeah. it depends if there's like a really urgent one that needs to go through. You'd be, a bit, um, you know, nothing you could do about it really. But this Mm. is interesting at the bottom here. Um, I don't know whether it's because of this, but they've suddenly decided to allow conveyances 
more time to download their their applications through the portal. So it used to be they would have 30 days to download any um, documents they created on there, but now they they can have them for 90 days. Maybe it's something they were maybe that was part of the update they were doing, like planning to allow the documents to be stored for a longer period of time. Yeah. That's good news. That is very good news. It says it covers the register, the title plan, and document views. I don't know what that means. Anyway, let us dive into the next one. Yeah, so moving on, this one is also from the Law Society Gazette, as is the next one upcoming. And this one talks about society... The society welcomes an extension of the furlough scheme. Um... Essentially, the Chancellor has uh, decided to extend the furlough scheme for about four months, I do believe. It says till the end of October. And uh, this is this is some good news. Yeah, it's been welcomed by the Law Society, and I guess a lot of firms are going to be pretty happy about this because this scheme was coming to an end and there was a lot of confusion. And I don't think anybody's in a position to like go back to normal yet. No, I not do even know close. we've got an article coming up that they are saying that it's go 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 in the housing market again, like the estate agents and the solicitors and the, the conveyances. The um, it's all back to normal, isn't it? But. We'll get into that one when when we get to it, no? Yeah, we yeah, we're not too far away from it anyway. Yeah, so it has been extended four months till the end of October, and Matthew, as Matthew just said, this is probably very good news. Uh, as he said as well, even the Law Society Gazette has welcomed it with open arms because right now people are definitely going to be needing this help. Well, firms, obviously. And like it says here, the extension of the job retention scheme will come as a big help for firms, particularly uh, small ones. So right now, small ones are the ones who are taking the biggest hit of all. We have covered in the past bigger firms that have said... I mean, we even covered... I think the last podcast, we covered a firm that was... Um, that was dissing other firms for not um, keeping up with the payments and with the jobs. Um, there are bigger firms that are maintaining this and they are managing to do this very well. But as we can see here, small firms are taking the biggest hit. So I think this is very good news. Yeah. Definitely. Either way, let's move on to the next one. As I said before, is also from the Law Society Set, and it is about a solicitor who has been banned or struck off for running an £8 million banking facility through the firm they were working for unless the firm was theirs. Um, this solicitor was 28 years old. It was a she. No, she's um, been a solicitor for 28 years. Oh, a solicitor for 28 years. Oh, my word. All right, well... <laughs> yeah. she's, Barbara, she's been a solicitor. Barbara Gribbin. Yes, Mrs. Barbara Gribbin, a solicitor of, sorry, 28 years, um, has uh, had sums of more than... Eight million pounds passed through the client account of Lancashire firm Ice Blue Legal. Um, 
Yeah, she oversaw a tech clearing scheme with a certain third party, the uh, which was heard by the sisters' disciplinary tribunal. This is um, tribunal. Tribunal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I when I first read it, I thought, is she doing payday loans? Like, is she allowing people to clear checks? But then, I mean, if she she passed eight million, I mean, who passes eight million pounds? in one go yeah or does it mean sums of more than 8 million in total like all the little bits added together yeah it must be that because 8 million in one go that's that's going to raise more than like one brow isn't it I mean it? even those houses we look at are only 2.2 2.6 million so you know you could buy four houses with 8 million it's not like likely is it yeah but so yeah, what I'm saying is, if it, if it was like a payday loan scheme, maybe people come to her, give her the check, and she gives them the cash. But then at the bottom it says she didn't make any money. Yeah, it says that she, um, well, uh, she Why quoted that it? she had been stupid enough to agree to this check clearing scheme, and that she felt, if I might say, shat on from a great height. Hmm. She basically said that she gained no benefit from it uh it's very very you know it's a very awkward situation i don't think i'd believe it because why yeah you wouldn't just open your bank account to eight million pounds unless you were getting something from it and but that is speculation obviously i'm not um not in a position to sort of say one way or another but she did have some other problems like she reported her by herself to the SRA that she had a £150,000 shortage in her client account. So I don't know where that had gone. And she also failed to give back £40,000 which should have been sent to her clients. So anyway, I don't know about that one. Maybe we'll mm. hear more about this one in the future. Yeah, and talking about hearing about other things uh, in the future, we have an article from Legal Futures, uh, which is talking about... So it's not exactly talking about Matthew's case, the lady we have been covering for the past couple of weeks, who was the junior lawyer who lost the briefcase on the train and then was struck off and had many, very, very many uh, mental issues because of it. Um, this is talking about how the junior lawyers in general, just junior lawyers, have been losing confidence in, in the SRA after her case. Um, it, it seems very reasonable for them to be losing certain confidence. Yeah, because... they're actually the Law Society's Junior Lawyers Division. So it's part of the Law Society. I don't know if that's yeah. just a loose... like a club offered by the Law Society to recently qualified lawyers or whether that is something they run internally or whether the junior lawyers are a member I think it's just a, a group of like recently qualified lawyers no? yeah it might be I'm not entirely sure but either way I mean this was this is something that seems a little obvious her fault I mean um, her mistake was definitely uh, it could have been a big one we don't know what those documents held for it to have been struck off while people we've seen in in the past steal 
millions and they or thousands and they don't seem to be struck off uh, it's very strange and obviously it makes a lot of junior lawyers lose confidence of mm. course it would would it says here she tried to kill herself which she claims she tried to kill herself that she did or not but I mean this case has been well publicised now it's probably quite hard to be in the media her mm. uh, crowdfundings reached nearly 10,000 of the 40,000 that she says she needs to to appeal this case and this this bit here it's linking this to another one which I think we went through about a solicitor that was found to have backdated and forged documents, but she escaped being struck off. Do you remember that one? She didn't actually. Yeah. She claimed uh, mental health issues as well. So I guess all of this is... I think we've got another article coming up that's on a similar vein, that yeah. they're saying that these junior solicitors are under a lot of pressure on their mental health and could be a ticking time bomb. I mean, up to a certain extent, it does make a lot of sense because we have seen in the past, um, in the past, we have seen articles that talk about how junior lawyers uh, have gotten extremely frust frustrated just for not being able to do their exams. And I understand because they must, it must be a lot of study and it, it must be a lot of hard work to get to be a junior lawyer and then from junior lawyer to be a lawyer yourself. So... You know, going through all of that and then something like this happening will definitely take a toll on your mental state. Mm -hmm. And then, like like you just uh, previously uh, said, um, everything going public like this, everything being like her being everywhere, basically on every single news outlet, is probably going to be something that's going to be affecting her even more. Because even if she appeals this and she gets it done, maybe no law firms will really want to hire her anyway. They have got a photo of her, and she's quite an attractive young woman, and I think that's why the newspapers grab onto it. But um, I saw another thing here that. I can't remember what firm she worked for, but it used to be the SRA's like go-to firm. Yeah. But the SRA uh, are paying Field Fisher to prosecute the firm that she was working at when the briefcase got lost, and they're paying that partner three hundred and eighty pounds an hour. That's crazy. It's quite a lot of money, but it yeah. kind of puts her in a bad position because if. If they're spending that much money on a good lawyer to tackle this case, then it, she's got little chance of being sort of let off. Yeah, I mean, there's another thing that that was that's said here. The letter said, um, well, there was a letter that was provided by Mrs. Matthews, I believe, and it was basically stating how she uh, her earning nine pounds an hour when she worked to the NHS was um, also something that took a big toll on her because she wasn't earning very, um, she wasn't earning enough. To get a proper lawyer to represent her, no? Mm. I mean, this help will be good, but um, I believe not many people are on uh, her case right now, even if they know about it. She's only, uh, well, only, she has gotten £10,000, but... I think that was two weeks ago when she put it up and she's gotten 10,000 out of 40,000. So I do hope she manages to do everything and gets everything sorted out. Mm. 
This next article comes from the BBC. It is about moving uh, house, and as it stays, uh, as it says here, moving home is now al- allowed as curbs lift on estate agents in England. So uh, I believe you already said something about this at the beginning of the podcast. We, yeah, I mean this is good news. They're basically saying that the mar- you know, it's let's go on the ma- on the housing market again. Yeah. Uh, like estate agents says here estate agents can open viewings can be carried out and removal firms and conveyances can restart operations so this is uh great this comes from the government housing secretary robert jenrick and um yeah obviously we still have to maintain social distancing and um, follow all the safety rules. Do your elbow shakes, everyone. Yeah. Sneeze your elbow, your elbow as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, it also says here that there is an estimate of around 450,000 buyers and renters with plans on hold. So that's great news. Um, still a large chunk of people who are still willing to go uh, forward with their plans. I've just um, seen this. It says the property markets in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland remain shut. So they've only opened it in England. I wonder why they did that. Because those, yeah. sh- those areas should be like more rural. Probably safer in terms of spreading virus. Yeah, it's very... I, I didn't see that before either. That's very strange. I would have thought that they probably would have been the ones to open it first because, yeah, like you just said, there's probably going to be less of a reason, mm-hmm. less of a of a possibility of getting contaminated. Oh, yeah, and he, he talked, the uh, housing secretary talks about the house building sector as well. Oh. So that's the other half of the housing market, isn't it? Like the building new properties... Yeah. Getting them put up. So, allowing builders to agree more flexible working hours with their local council, such as staggering arrival times to ease pressure on public transport. So, on the building site, I guess they're not really always working that close together, though, are they? But I suppose it's like travelling to and from work that they're worried about. I mean... it. Working construction is a lot of hard work, isn't it? And it means a lot of sweating and a lot of possible contamination from one to another. They don't exactly work next to each other, but there will be times when they'll, they'll have be to cross paths. Breathing hard next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Or like having a cup of tea at least. Yeah. Right. Let us crack on with legal cheek the next yeah I, I believe we've covered everything we needed to cover in that article this next one is uh, oh so this is talking about the um, junior lawyers losing confidence this is what uh, Matthew was talking about the junior lawyers division which is part or they are of the um, Law Society Gazette or well the Law Society sorry um, this is talking about the same um, thing as we just talked about before they are urging the SRA to review um, an approach where mental health or toxic working environments play a role in the alleged uh, misconduct. So um, essentially they're saying that um, the SRA needs to 
keep in mind things like mental health issues or certain uh, things that might affect mental health yeah, when they, we're... They come back to the briefcase case, the Claire Louise Matthews, the one that left the briefcase on the train. Hmm. Who lied about, they say lied about it for 24 hours to colleagues. So I they... The JLD, the Junior Lawyers Division, they sent a letter to the SRA, like trying to get more clarity on this issue. Now the um, pressure that junior lawyers are being put under. Yeah. I, don't I mean, it's it's reasonable, isn't it? Hmm. I don't know if they're specifically talking about her or. Oh yeah, it says we, the recent uh, case recent decision and also the other ones they were mentioning in the other article Savani James and Emily Scott yeah I mean it makes sense that they're doing this it's it's a necessary step in my opinion because what we've been seeing in the in the articles we've been covering and mostly yeah just Matthew's case I feel it's Miss Matthew's yeah Miss Matthew's case I should note that not Matthew um, himself his case. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But um, the it's funny that we started following this story, and now um, it's actually could be overturned because, like, you know, it's getting big now, isn't it? Hmm. It is being taken further, and there's a lot of pressure, like building up on the SRA now. But this uh, letter actually gives more details about her suicide attempt. It says we are alarmed to read Miss Matthews's account that in the relevant brief period, she barely ate, slept, she drank heavily after a period of being sober, and tried to take her own life by drinking bleach. Oh. I don't That's know if she's, not nice. Don't know if she's like still unwell from having done that. Well, I she probably might be. I hope not. Definitely not. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, like, she is trying to appeal this, and my um, my opinion on the matter is, even if she appeals and she wins, after everything that's happened, will any firm really want to take her in? Mm. I mean, she's you know she's. She is reacting in a fair way, even if it is a bad way. And that might reflect on how firms might see her as a working person. Mm. The JLD's saying that if they like punish her so hard, it's going to like make people more dishonest. Because they'll, yeah. be, they'll be like not want to bring things out in the open anymore. Like she could have continued lying about the briefcase, but she did come clean after 24 hours. Anyway, let. <laughs> I think this is the same as the one we've already been over. Actually, this next time. Yeah, it, um, it's uh, the same, but it's, except it's from the negotiator, and we get to see a lovely picture of Mr. Robert Jenrick himself. Um, yes, this is the same, the same, except this one's more of a go, go, go sort of article. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically these 450,000 homes, homes, mo homes moves, um, 
uh, on the hold, and I think that's a good number. I was I was going to note earlier as well. It's a very good number, uh, despite everything that's been happening. Um, I would imagine more people would have cancelled and just left it um, their 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 transaction. But I'm good. I'm glad to see there's so many homes still waiting until they have the go, which is now I, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's all focused on safety, like how to open it up safely. Like he's obviously put this plan together, and uh, we just got to respect the social distancing. I think mm. I um, I do know a little bit about it. It's not in this article, but I think it's stay at work at home where you can. But if you need to come in to like meet a client or something, go in and meet them. But like limit the number of people in the office. Yeah. You've still got people going in to get get the check the post, uh, you know, turn the servers on and off if necessary, and um, you know, just make sure you stay safe, wear a mask, same sort of thing as um, you know when you go shopping or whatever. I believe many um, uh, many workers uh, usually in just many workers they have these sort of plastic visors uh, i'm not sure if law firms will just say hey we'll we'll buy a couple of these and we'll give them to you but those are probably the best for being able to talk clearly and and have your safe mm. um safety as far as number one guard, isn't it it's yeah stops any particles <laughs> from getting through it's like a solid just a solid piece of plastic, see-through plastic, yeah. Yeah, you see people wearing them in the supermarket. But, I mean, the government's never really, like, told us to wear that kind of protection. Hmm. It's a bit over the top for your average citizen, but... Yeah, if you're in for a front-line position... Yeah. If you've got people coming in and out, sneezing all the time, it'd be good to have something solid... Right, yeah. Well, moving on, this next article is also from The Negotiator, and it states there's a long way to go until conveyancing goes fully digital, and uh, I think we both agree on that. Yeah. Um, what this is talking about, this is like a pet peeve of mine, actually, so I can probably go into depth in this, on this one. Um well, it says, like, e-conveyancing will remain a myth until the land registry and lenders get key house mover data in a structured form and use a common transaction portal. But I think that people don't want to consume the data from one central source. I think what you need is sort of common gateways that, you know, people... Conveyancers don't want to just use one big system. They want to use their own systems. But these systems need to be able to talk to each other. Like, there needs, like, a set of standards hmm. governing, like, how data can be exchanged between conveyancing firms. But even then, I mean, this uh, automation, it could lead to job losses, so... Uh, I think that's why a lot of people hold off on it. Obviously, somebody will do it eventually. Yeah. And once they do it, maybe it'll it'll work. 
I mean, we that we have um, seen examples recently of automatic uh, hiring. There's already services out there that you can use on your on your uh, on your own firm or any of your you know businesses that allows a AI, a very intelligent AI, to essentially hire people for you. Hmm. And I, I do believe it asks for confirmation once it has everything set up and it says this person is the best and most qualified and these are the reasons why and then you can look at them and you say, okay, I'll hire this person. Hmm. So that's already um, I saw that, that on like a Dragon's Den thing. A guy was doing an AI recruitment agency. But this... Uh, it says this people in the sector are still seeing e-signatures as cutting edge it's like if if you provide an electronic version of a document and that document needs to be signed normally you need to print it and then physically sign it mm. in front of some witnesses but if there was like an e-signature software that could do all the work of guaranteeing that that you know, someone just clicks a button, but it's already guaranteed that that person clicking the button is who they say they are. And also, vaguely mentions here artificial intelligence. I think there are, you know, cloud computing providers provide a lot of, like, artificial intelligence tools now that can be used to read emails, understand the the meaning of paragraphs text yeah and um as these tools become available um it's going to be interesting to see how that changes the field so yeah let's keep an eye on that one yeah definitely let's see how it goes and it, it progresses as time goes on this next one's from the Daily Mail, and it is um, talking about first home, uh, first time buyers, or maybe buyers in general. Um, it says as follows: We had an offer on a home accepted before the coronavirus lockdown, and think prices will now fall. So, should we be reducing our offer? And um, it's just talking about in the case of you know a first time buyer or any sort of buyer. Um, having agreed on a price before the coronavirus crisis and then seeing how they can now buy the house um they are worried if they should ask for a reduction in the price of the house because of everything that's happened because the price of the house or the value of the house might have gone down and um not because of something like uh, lack of you know money to be able to buy it or something mm. I think it's a reasonable thought, but I'm not sure if it's um, entirely true or necessary. Hmm. I think it just comes down to fear and uncertainty. It's like if you're paying 250000 for a house and then you think that somebody might be getting a better deal than you, you're like, I need to look around see what's happening with the market before I commit mm. to this big purchase. You know, you were perfectly happy to do it before based on the state of the market, but obviously there's a lot of uncertainty about the market now. People might hold off. Some people might not care, carry on. 
But I think ultimately, you know, you may have more to lose by backing out and trying to search for something else. And, you know, there might be a lot of push from buyers to get a reduction, but there'll be a pushback from sellers in that they need to hold up their their house prices because they're going to have commitments there and yeah they might be buying another house or they might have a lot of uh, like a large mortgage on the house they're selling that needs to be paid off or you know if if people try to take too much there's only so much give in the market that you know there's only so much movement can be made hmm so I mean a house a house only has well anything really it has the price that people will you know give it or the seller will give it so the only way a house would be worth less is if the seller said after everything has happened I'd rather try and sell it for a little less giving it a you know lesser value obviously like if a seller maintains his price that house probably hasn't gone down in value unless every house around him or in the market starts dropping their prices and he will have to as well because um if not nobody will really want to buy his house mm. but right now if sellers maintain their prices the house uh, price won't drop in general that's yeah i think like the richer people have the more control because if they if they're selling like a more expensive house and they've got they've got more money they've got more time to wait so if if there's a dip in the market they might be like oh, I'll just I'll just wait mm. whereas your first time buyer somebody who needs to move has you know needs more bedrooms for the kids or bigger garden or whatever they're going to be under more pressure if it's a short-term thing, I don't think there's going to be much of a change. If there's a sort of longer-term knock-on effect, then maybe, yeah. And then people might wait and see, which might just have the effect of stagnating the market, causing more damage to the economy. Mm. Just be less money moving around. Um, this one, the... Uh, Evening Standard Homes and Property article. Yes. This next one is from the Evening Standard Homes and Property. It's talking about four in ten buyers now considering countryside locations after everything that's happened with the coronavirus lockdown. Mm, I suspected this. we're still this. in it. I suspected this was going to happen because if you're locked down, you're going to be sitting at home thinking, I wish I had a bigger garden, more space. I wouldn't mind driving a bit further if I, you know, if this happens again, like more space for my children to run around in the garden or, you know, bigger rooms, what have you. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That seems logical. Going to start being something that um, annoys people, you know, looking at their house and saying, damn. But once the coronavirus fades in people's memories, they'll be back to the way they were. Yeah, they'll be content with what they have again. Mm. Just like wanting to be closer to work, closer to friends and family, closer to the facilities that they need. 
mm. supermarket schools. But we could see a boom in countryside property. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, four in ten people is a lot. Four in ten people. That's a, a good amount of people who are actually considering to buy. And they've also put... Um, yeah, I wonder what it was before. Would it have been two in four before? Maybe one. It doesn't actually say 51% compared to 42%. Oh, that's... So it's risen by about 10% the amount that are searching for, like, rural locations. Yeah. This picture of Oldborough, I used to go to Oldborough, it's a beautiful town. Little seaside town. Hmm. It's nice. It's one of the places they state as... that might benefit from this change in... Um, People like wanting to move out to the countryside. Talking of countryside properties. <laughs> Talking of countryside properties is the next article from Country Life, and you all know it. This is the fine, lovely house we're going to be reviewing for this week's podcast. It is a fine country house near Canterbury with history, charm, and a donkey wheel house. And that's that's now a nutterly eccentric gaz gazebo, gazebo. Gazebo. Yeah, gazebo. Yeah, it's a like old old house. This it's got um, you know, the old tiled roof. The roof is all wob wonky and wobbly because I guess the beams have sagged. The wooden beams holding it up. It's got like big mm. chimney stacks. Uh, how do you call the sliding windows? Um, can't remember what they're called now. Yeah, the I top can't. part slides down, the bottom part slides up. It's uh, well-established gardens, like big trees, bushes. Grade yeah. one listed. It's funny because um, we always look at these houses and we see from the outside they look very... Um, they look okay normally, and they are. They do look their age. This is from the 1300s, and when you look at the inside, like this picture here, it just looks so modern. Like if you looked at this picture and then looked at the other picture, you'd say, "What? This is the same house." Hmm. It's uh, it's crazy how well they um, redo them in the on the inside. Looks really nice. People want the mud cons. <laughs> look, it's got like an armchair in the kitchen. The kitchen's so big. It's got like a little yeah. armchair. It's nice. It says uh, five bedrooms and 4.7 acres of property. Uh, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. It's a reasonable amount of acres, and the house itself is quite large. Also, if you like the, the donkey wheel house as well, then it's a, another positive for you. It says it was built for the de Ratling family in 1320 as well as being the former home of Sir William Cowper, whose son became the first Lord High Chancellor of Great Britain in the 18th century. There's oh. Plenty of... Uh, history, history to it. Yeah, the inside, like I just said, it looks very nice. We've got a shot of the lounge here, or a gathering area, one of the two. Looks very cosy. Um, is that a sort of a... No, that's just wood on the on the 
wall. The wall looks like um, it's uh, a bunch of bricks and tiles that have all been stuck together. There's a lovely sofa and there's a nice little armchair in the back there as well. This looks very nice. The all, all the wood is um, just a uh, floor. Uh, the all the floor is wood. Nice, lovely. It looks wood. like this floor has been redone because you'd expect in an older property the floor to be a bit more like wobbly and warped. This yeah. is like a really well finished flat floor. That's what I was. That's what I was talking about earlier. It's like completely redone. It's uh, very nice. It's a nice oh wow, study. look at that. Yeah, that study looks amazing. Bookshelves, big desk. Does it does the study have a fireplace? It's funny because this study also has two armchairs, so what yeah, people can also chillax in this study. Hmm. They like leather. There's a leather armchair in the lounge, there's two leather chairs in the study and then leather chair in the kitchen. Yeah. And here's the uh, donkey, what was it called? Donkey Donkey wheelhouse. So it's like you attach your donkey onto this wooden thing and it pulls it round in a circle. Mm. I suppose you whip the donkey. It turns this wheel round and round. So I guess not many houses can boast a donkey wheelhouse. Yeah, not many houses have this thing. This is this is definitely what adds Adds value to this house. But do you get a donkey with the house? That's what I mean. Yeah. Mm. To bring your if, you, if there's no donkey, I'm sorry, that's a deal breaker for me. <laughs> I'm sure at that price they'll find you a donkey. <laughs> oh my lord! There's, yeah, they really do like leather, don't they? More leather here. This is this is is this a lounge or is this a gathering area? There's another... It's not a fireplace, is this it? This is the library or the drawing room, maybe. Oh, there's not many books. <laughs> there's more books in the study. Yeah, it's all electronic nowadays, isn't it? Looks like just CDs on the shelves. Maybe they maybe they give you, like, three Kindles with three accounts with different books on them. Yeah, an Amazon account. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, 3D tours have made a big difference to both buyers and sellers during these weeks. That's why I was saying is the agents should scan all the properties so if there's yeah. a lockdown, they can still... People can still view them with VR or... That's great. Looking at it on the computer. So uh, this house is priced at £2.2 million at the moment through... Strutt and Parker. Strutt and Parker um, again. I think Country Life and Strutt and Parker work together or something. Yeah, they must do. Definitely. Yeah, so if you're interested in this lovely house, um, obviously, you know, they need to include a donkey. If they don't include the donkey, then um, I don't think you should buy this yeah. house, honestly. Hold out for a donkey if you're going to buy it. <laughs> so, with that concludes episode 11 of the Convincing Podcast as Thomas yep. said at the beginning I hope you're all staying safe at home and wearing that protective gear yeah make sure you have the extra professional gloves on with the uh, contamination suit and don't forget that lovely plastic visor ladies and gentlemen wash your hands while singing happy birthday twice <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, uh, so um, look out for our explainer videos. We're going to start getting into those soon. We're just preparing all that. And um, don't forget to look out for new episodes of the Convincing Podcast. Subscribe, like, and comment. Yep, and remember, our schedule from now on, like we've already said, is going to be every two weeks or every fortnight, we're going to be having a Convincing Podcast. And every other week, we will be having one of these explainer videos, which might be from five to ten minutes. We're not sure yet. So, uh, as Matthew said, look forward to those, and we all wish you a very good day, a very good week, and we will see you next time. Cheers, bye. Bye.